1: one. All right. Welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown. I'm a cloud solutions architect with right Brain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me today is software and data consultant Tom Kowalski. Howdy. Hi, Tom. Also joining us is subject matter expert and recurring guest on the podcast, Preston Frazier. He's a senior software engineer at the Interoperability Institute. Welcome back, Preston. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be here. All righty. So in this episode, we're going to discuss developer tools for serverless architecture. And I know there's uh, definitely a lot to say on the topic. So yeah, let's go ahead and get started. But yeah, I'll I'll kick it over to to you, Tom, first. So when it comes to serverless environments, um, what challenges would you consider uh, developers commonly face?
2: I'd say the biggest challenge is the the tools aren't usually the same you know especially if they are you know used to developing locally and you know want to keep doing that and and using some of the the same tools or yeah a- agents the process and flow that they're used to so i'd say that's that's usually the biggest challenge i think things are a lot better now than they used to when i first started but but there's still a, a a paradigm shift in the development process and i think that's that's just the the hardest for developers he used to doing something for a long time and you know it's uh kind of a different way of doing it so yeah just embrace
1: right. the change yeah absolutely i mean when you're used to uh just building locally you know for instance if you're working on like a rest api right you just spin it up spin up the web app locally to do some testing or some development to um see how things are are taking shape um yeah that looks that flow looks completely different when you're working with with serverless components um especially if you're you're trying to um develop for uh like uh interconnected uh components Uh, Like, for instance, Lambdas, right? If you have a bunch of Lambdas that you've got as a backend for your REST API, you know, what do you do? You know, do you zip everything up and then upload it to to S3 and then reconfigure the Lambda every time? I mean, that seems like untenable, right? So yeah, yeah. I think that that's a, you definitely hit like one of the things in my mind, you know. I would
0: certainly agree with Tom on that. You know, just an example, you're talking about spinning something up locally, it's hard, let's, uh, you know, we talk about Amazon Web Services a lot here. So think about an API you can spin up locally versus, you know, using API gateway. You really can't spin API gateway service up locally on your machine easily. You know, it, it's it's something you, uh, that, you know, needs to come from libraries or like testing libraries. Otherwise, you're, you know, kind of deploying to maybe a dev account and you're using the services there from the web services. I agree, I think there's a ways to go in terms of locally developing with serverless technologies. I'm a little surprised that you know cloud providers have made it a little easier to maybe spin up a version of their services locally or have some kind of better um, ability to to mock those services. There are some examples and I think we'll talk about those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and another thing that I just kind of touched on too in terms of challenges is testing, right? So being able to do, I mean, unit testing, you could do fairly locally. You know, if I'm writing in Python, I could just run Python for, our PyTest for uh, unit testing. But when it comes to integration testing or testing the um, components together, like as you're updating and making changes, like that can get really cumbersome, like the changes to the flow that um, people may be unaccustomed to. But once somebody does start using these tools, getting, getting into the flow, Preston, what would you say were some key advantages of adopting a serverless approach in app development? Like what are some, some gains that you start to see when doing so?
0: Well, you know, certainly a lot of the gains are seen in, in production environments with serverless because, you know, the, the assumption and the idea is that you're really, you know, only running and paying for what you need to use. So you can really minimize the amount of time that those services are running. Um, you know, y- uh, on the development side, um, usually with the way things are priced, if you're not doing the load testing, your your development work is very you know very cheap to do with existing services. Um, if you're going the route of deploying your you know applications to a dev account first or a dev environment first before you're going to a production environment. So there's there's gains there um, in terms of, of the cost, you know, in terms of development, I think the paradigm switches a lot more to scripting your infrastructure and services, you know, everything's configured, you're not it, it, serverless lends itself more to a scripted infrastructure environment rather than, you know, this manual setup and configuration of services. Uh, I think that's really where you see a big difference in what you're going about doing day to day. You know, it's not just about writing the application code, but it's also about scripting those infrastructure
1: pieces. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit also about testing the changes to the flow. And that seems to be another thing, too, is that you? these tools lend itself to that tighter integration between your app code and your infrastructure as code. And we'll we'll get into some examples of tools that help allow you to do that. But yeah, can can you guys think of any other ways that just development tools in general contribute to improving the overall developer experience in a serverless uh, deployment or development? I think certainly it's, maybe if it's not the first
0: time you're building something, but say you're a new engineer coming on to a team or something. I think it's a lot quicker to, or, or maybe you're setting up a new environment. It's a lot quicker to get that environment set up because there's probably less manual steps you need to take. It's more about, you know, you you install the tools and you run the, you know, launcher or the deploy script and everything just gets deployed. If you're, you know, using that methodology of everything scripted, I can basically tear everything down And so nothing's there and I can rebuild it um, with just, you know, running a script. Um, If you're using that approach, then it's really easy for for new engineers to get going right away and new environments
1: set up right away. It's a big benefit. Yeah, 100% agree. So I'd also like to dig in and and, uh, ask each of you for some specific examples, if you can provide any of some real world scenarios where adopting a specific tool made a big impact on your serverless project?
2: I'd say the biggest impact that that I've seen is the monitoring. It's a lot better than it it used to be. But yeah, when it first serverless first came out, right? All of the monitoring tools expected to be able to run like an agent on your servers. And there wasn't anything good for uh, serverless development in and being able to monitor, right? It's kinda of kinda of roll your own uh, metrics or logs. Uh, but yeah, there was a, a lot of tools that came out and that'll make it easier. And it got better and better too as you know, as AWS provided more better integration for the tools to get that data out and you know, to see what's going on. So yeah, I I would say that, right? It was the hardest to, you know, to onboard people without the, the monitoring tools. That they were used to, so you know, with the uh, with them maturing much more now, I think that's less of an issue. But yeah, that, that's the real world uh, struggle that I had, and where tools made it a lot better. Continue to make it better.
0: You know, I mean, I mean, for me, I think I think as the tools continue to get better, um, it's it's making it clearer and maybe simpler. Um, there's a lot of I, I've noticed there's a lot of frameworks, like yeah. serverless frameworks that do a lot of abstraction and they focus on making it both simpler or quicker to, you know, build things. Um, a lot of times these abstraction tools really just kind of compile down to a more verbose or different um, language. I mean, take cloud formation, for example, with AWS, which is kind of maybe the bread and butter of how... AWS, you know, understands how to set up a resource or configure a resource. You have a cloud formation stack that, uh, consists of, um, you know, the scripted, the scripted services, which is, you know, called, we call cloud formation. And so there's several tools that kind of abstract that cloud formation, um, into a maybe an easier, uh, way to write it. So, you know, I've seen these, these tools. We'll talk a lot about serverless framework because it's uh, a huge tool that that I use. A lot of people use to it's that abstracted scripting to, you know, configure the services and that that serverless framework, you know, it basically gets interpreted by AWS or the framework interprets into CloudFormation, translates it into CloudFormation, which is what, you know, Amazon runs and uh, sets up your services with. So... I would say serverless framework by far is one of the biggest tools that has changed um, how we deal with serverless and work with cloud services like Amazon.
2: Yeah, that's it's funny. Like I I forget, right, that that's like a tool and, and can't even fathom what it would be like to do serverless development without it. So because I, I was using, you know, Lambdas right out of the gate and just playing around with it for, you know, one-off things and Right when it was released, you were allowed to edit the code in the um, in the console. So that was, like, my initial introduction into serverless. But then right afterwards, it was uh, serverless framework and, and JAWS, right? And that was, like, I couldn't imagine doing, like, a real development flow and, like, working locally and deploying and everything without the serverless framework. So it's, I... I I kind of think of it going hand in hand, right, with, with the the tools. So yeah, when we when talk about it, it's like, oh yeah, serverless framework, right, and and the other tools now that, that help, right, with the infrastructure as code.
0: I, I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I couldn't imagine deploying a serverless environment without some kind of tool like serverless, you know, the, like, let's take the AWS console, for example, the UI that you can log into. That's nice to be able to view things, maybe tweak things, maybe try something out, but when you're talking about setting up an environment, that's probably going to have, you know, several services that just gets too complex to try to do anything manually to set it up. It's got to be deployed with some kind of scripting tool. And so yeah, serverless has for us worked really well. Although I'll say that it's not the only tool we use. You know, we have found so- where another tool is actually better at doing certain things. Personally, from where I work, we use another tool called Terraform, which is it it's a little different from how serverless works. Uh, serverless creates that cloud formation markup YAML JSON, and um AWS deploys a cloud formation stack from that. Terraform's a little different. It doesn't actually create a cloud formation. It actually does something a little different where it goes and makes the changes and kind of saves the state of where things are at. And we've noticed that works a little bit better, that Terraform works a little bit better for services that persist data, things like S3 or for databases or other, maybe Dynamo, you know, things that uh, store data and persist. We noticed that Terraform is smoother. Um, In terms of not just, um, you know, keeping that data persisted that's in those services, there's something called. um, uh, Well, I won't get into it just yet, but um, I'll just say that we use serverless and Terraform and, you know, we can use them together and we use them for specific things because they have things that they're really good at. And so we try to use that. The things that certain services are good at, you know, we try to... (laughs) We don't just sit on one framework, basically. We, we
2: we use a few that are good at specific things. That's interesting. How do you, uh, like, share the configuration between them, right? Like, if this right. is up and this is the ID, how do you pass that, right, to the other framework? So we really
0: think about Terraform kind of, like I said, uh, sets up those really core pieces of an environment. You know, maybe it's... Uh, like I said, S3 bucket or databases or something like that, infrastructure pieces that like need to set up there. And then we use our serverless to deploy like applications on top of that. So lambdas or API gateways. Serverless is really good about deploying lambda and API gateway. And you can do a few other things with it too. And we're, um, we're a shop that has a lot of lambdas. So, you know... We really focus our serverless projects on just deploying lambdas and API gateways and a few other resources too, maybe some SSM parameters if they go with that. But those real core infrastructure pieces, we do Terraform because we like the way it saves the state. And so there's this word called drift. Your um, cloud CloudFormation stack could have drift from one version to another. Same thing with like the Terraform states. And again, like I said, the t- Terraform seems to handle that drift a lot better. It, it handles persisted data a lot better. One of those, one trick with CloudFormation stacks is, you know, if you delete the stack, you delete all the data that is associated to that stack. So if there was like an S3 bucket associated with it, you might delete all the data in your S3 bucket. Terraform's a little bit safer in terms of how it modifies data and services. And we've had issues with kind of cloud formation where uh, let's say that drift doesn't always line up right and you get some conflicts. Terraform seems to handle conflicts a lot better than the the cloud formation that serverless creates. So that's one of the things that we've learned over the time with working in a a serverless environment here. We didn't always have Terraform when we started, we just started with serverless. Um, And then we learned we really needed a, a better tool to set up some of the services so it's certainly a learning game um especially you know i wouldn't say we're early on with with you know serverless right now but um you know the past i'd say four or five years we've been working with serverless technologies in aws yeah we just kind of made that distinction of you know serverless is good for this terraform is good for this
1: yeah that's great i mean i really like that um i've introduced that separation so like you have the compute layer on a completely different on a different level than than your uh, data layer so you can just wipe out the cloud formation stack if necessary without touching any sensitive data or you know having to worry about it changing any databases or <laughs> anything like that so like if you have these like dynamo for, for example like you've created a dynamo table and terraform right um, and then you have this Lambda that you're deploying through serverless that's reliant on the Dynamo table. I, I, presumably that, that ID would be an output somewhere from, from Terraform. Like, How would the Lambda ingest that ID to know where it's going to be like interacting with, with that data?
0: Yeah, we do, at least at our shop, we do a lot of that kind of Let's call them maybe global variables or, you know, attributes in your account. Um, we leverage the system manager parameters, SSM in AWS. So say we, you know, deploy a S3 bucket or database with Terraform associated with that Terraform is that it deploys those SSM parameters that has, you know, a key with the, the name of the bucket, the environment, whatever, and the value. A key for the bucket and then, the, you know, say the name of the bucket. Um, so there's an SSM parameter available. So then when we go to deploy like our compute layer with serverless in our scripting, we can have the, you know, the key of that SSM parameter linked in there for the bucket and say, OK, this Lambda needs permission to this S3 bucket. And so we use those uh, those some parameters kind of as global
1: variables. Yeah, very interesting paradigm. I really like that that strategy. Yeah, that that's really excellent. And
2: it, sorry, it it also helps too when you're going like uh, multi-region. I feel like a lot of these tools kind of don't handle that very well. Uh, so that's 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 where I've seen it too. Like breaking that up, not just the the persistent storage layers, but also helping with uh, you know when you're when you're going multi-region, and you know there's replication between some of those persistent storage layers and, and things like that. Uh, a lot of the tools, uh, yeah, don't really aren't really set up to do with that. Yeah, so breaking it up,
1: I I completely agree with that. And yeah, using the parameter store is a great way to go. Using the the right tool for the job—that's a great example. And you mentioned Terraform too, and a lot of people think of Terraform as just like infrastructure as code. But um, you know, as a sort of a different example, um, I I like using um, AWS's Cloud Development Kit the CDK as an infrastructure as code tool. And I've had some su- success with that, with deploying Lambdas, because you can have your Lambdas sitting, your app code sitting right alongside your uh, your infrastructure code. So you do have that tighter integration. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's, it, it provides another easy way to be able to deploy uh, your API gateway with, you know, backed by Lambdas, so yeah, that, that's just like another alternative that, that I've had some success with before. But yeah, what other, uh, what other tools do you guys like? I mean, uh, what are some of your favorite tools to use when working with serverless and like why, why adopt those tools? I know we talked about serverless quite a bit, Terraform to a degree. Were there any others that you guys would definitely advocate for? Maybe I'll steer the
0: conversation or just my answer back towards, um, you know, the development environment a little bit and, uh, you know, talk about how are you going to develop locally, um, how are you going to do your unit testing. There is a great library for Python, and there might be libraries that exist for other languages too, um, but maybe we're primarily a, a Python shop when it comes to application code. So, you know, as you know, Botos 3 is a library from AWS that allows you to interact with AWS services. Well, there's a, a testing library that is developed called moto that's with an M, that essentially allows you to mock AWS services um, locally. And we've been having a lot of success with this Modo library to, you know, there's a little bit of configuration you have to do in some of your testing files, but you essentially can mock services like DynamoDB and S3 um, Secrets Manager, that kind of thing. You You can mock those out and get the same response format that you would get with Bodo 3. So for like unit testing and even, you know, doing some local development, you know, you can run your unit tests locally to kind of help get an idea then Moto library has really improved our our um our code quality um for unit testing. I don't think it's a full replacement for deploying your code to the um you know an actual AWS environment, but it, it re- really gets you farther um locally. So I really like
1: that one, Moto. Yeah. That, that's excellent. Um, Tom, did you have any other thoughts? Like I know we talked about serverless as basically, you know, the measuring stick, you know, the serverless framework when it comes to like comparing other tools. Did you have any others that you wanted to advocate for that you um, prefer to use?
2: You know, I've, I've tried a lot of them and I'm always drawn back to serverless framework. And I think the the biggest sticking feature is how they do plugins. Uh, and you can really, you know, just ex- expand what it does versus some of the native tools like SAM or, or CDK. Right? It's it's just the the CloudFormation, and you can now do uh, you know CloudFormation functions and have it do different things or whatever. But um, yeah, the the ecosystem around the the plugins for uh, for serverless framework. Like something new comes out, and maybe it's not supported by cloud formation yet or um just the the integration is 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 wonky right and just that abstraction layer of you know easily throwing in a plugin and it can make it nice and, and pretty right, with my uh serverless framework templating is is really nice um i haven't had the chance to play around with the the other ones um recently um but yeah i think there's a lot of advancements in it so but yeah, yeah, that's what always hold, pulled me back in the serverless framework is like, I none of them do this. Oh, serverless framework does. Oh, it's a plugin. That's right.
0: I totally agree with that. And we, we leverage quite a few plugins for serverless. Like you said, I think that puts it a little step ahead of AWS SAM and CDK, which are similar, but you know, we leverage plugins like, um, you can create, uh, you know, IAM roles for each of your Lambda functions. That's a requirement we have from security. So Lambdas are kind of all on their own security group or things like associating a web application firewall to your, um, your API gateway or um, a really cool one. Um, we, for our API applications, we like to use Flask library on our Lambdas. And there's a plugin called serverless WSGI which makes uh, integration between the API gateway payload that we get and the flask, um, format. Um, it does that integration for us to translate that payload. So we can use flask on our lambdas and really structure our code in a very, um, I don't want to say correct, but, you know, in a very, um, in a way that makes sense for, um, you know, kind of a, um, an API application would, like, uh, there's no no view on this, but a, you know, a controller and a model type of application. That plugin really helps. And there's a lot of other ones. I know, I think we've leveraged a step functions plugin to help with step functions. Certainly um, a plugin called, um, there's a serverless Python requirements, which can help you create a layer uh, with your Lambda of your you know third party dependencies you want to pull in. That brings up another, uh, nice one. Uh, yeah, it is. It brings up another, uh, tool with Python that we like to use called poetry to basically, uh, define our third party resources, um, our source resources and, um, poetry helps us, um, work poetry works with the serverless Python requirements plugin to help build that layer of third party resources. It's, it's very smooth and, um, it, it works great.
2: Yeah. I, I concur the, uh, when they can p- package it up right and make it certain things that are a lot bigger and aren't going to change as much so that automatically make it a layer. And then you don't have to worry about deploy. it makes the deployments a lot faster. Those are re- really nice. I do um, done a lot of development with, with TypeScript with these and just like the automatic integration with like tree shaking and, and things like that. And just optimizing like what code has changed. So you don't have to, you know, recompile transpile uh the the different things that are changing and just you know having it watch for changes automatically
1: deploying um yeah makes it really nice that is really nice yeah i've got to brush up on the serverless framework plugins because <laughs> yeah a lot of those sound really convenient um we are coming up on time but i wanted to have a little bit of room for some uh closing thoughts so um i guess we'll start with you preston any closing thoughts on the dev tools in a serverless environment?
0: Um well, you know, kind of like we were saying, I, I think they're only getting better. I, I don't think they're, you know, perfect uh the way they are right now. I think we, I, I'd like a little more help with local development. Um but um you know fortunately if you're not running your services a lot it's it's not a lot of money to run a development environment. Um, if you're being conscious about not having, you know, services that cost a lot of money running for a long period of time, you can get away with deploying your um code to setting up your environment in an actual dev environment. But I mean, what we have right now gives you know engineers a lot of power to script their services and and deploy them, you know, with with one command. And boom, you have a serverless environment running pretty quickly. So We're certainly able to get off the ground and get going really fast. I think now we're just looking at polishing these tools that we have and getting, you know, more support that maybe we had with a a traditional environment, but it's certainly not going to hinder you from, from starting development now. So pretty
1: happy (laughs) overall. Looking forward to what's next. Absolutely. Tom, closing thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm, uh pretty excited but yeah what's what's coming out and and what's changing I, I feel like there's a lot of uh I don't, maybe we talk about this another episode but there's a lot of providers out now that are either making their own abstractions on top of AWS or kind of doing like their own their own way of of developing uh, that comes to mind is like Amp they're a spin out of the serverless framework company that's kind of doing their own thing where that one, you don't have as much access to the AWS resources that get spun up, but other things like, uh, like SST um, I don't know if you played around with those, but uh, that one's uh, very interesting as well. So, and, and the space that they're going, they kind of were tied to CDK, but are now kind of doing their own engine for some of the things that yeah we talked about here, but yeah, it's very exciting to see, What's uh, what's coming out? It's new. It's changing. Excellent.
1: Yeah, I think that this is definitely a topic that's uh, kind of difficult to contain in a single half hour, so that definitely warrants uh, uh, a second uh, sequel episode coming up hopefully soon.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, ever-growing topic, always new things coming out, and uh, yeah. always new methodologies, I think. That's important to point out that there's, there's people that are always thinking of new ways to chain these tools together to you know make their dev environment or their ecosystem work for them Uh, excellent
1: cool so i guess with that we can uh we can wrap up for for this episode i'd like to take the opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to lunch with tech leaders hope you found the conversation informative and valuable we would love to have you join us again for our next episode influencing teams to stay on top of new tech As always, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversations, so be sure to tune in. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.